found my shirt. There we go. All right, let's stop playing. We're talking about place of residence. We're talking about place where you live. How many of y'all have a place where you live? Oh, cool. None of you have a place to live. Well, then let me tell you about our serving partner, the Refuge of Hope. Come on, man. Everybody has a place where they dwell. This is arguably where you dwell most of the time. And so what does it really mean for God to be welcome in that place? What does it really mean for God to be the king of, yeah, your home as well? Whether we live with family, whether we live with friends, whether we live by ourselves, whether we live in a neighborhood, maybe this neighborhood, or we live on a college campus, in a dorm building, in a hallway with people we may or may not have chosen to be around. Or we live in a suburb nearby. Or we live on a farm not that nearby. Shout out to John and Shannon. (laughs) Wherever that is, we have a responsibility to see that place changed for the light of Jesus. And if it already shows the light of Jesus, then we have a responsibility to magnify that. To build on that. This week we get to hear from uh, some of my favorite people. A special couple that a lot of you know. Their faces will be very familiar. And we've asked them to share their story of how God has used their physical place, their physical residence to be ministry to the neighborhood. So if you all would, let's take a few minutes and play this video. Where we stay now, it's, it's home. It's always been home. And no matter what is going on or how people look at it, it's, it's home to us. And the people who live around us are our people. And um, our goal is to, to be that light in that area. So we don't plan on going anywhere. Now we do. street that we live on now, um, years ago, we were in, um, at the Women's Y um, in, in shelter, um, and then from there we went to, um, it was uh, on Gibbs, in Gibbs and 13th, they had another shelter, uh, when we outweighed our stay there, we had to go there, and then, um, you know, now the street that we live on um, is the same street as woman's wife and we, we're homeowners right on 6th street literally not even a half a mile up the up the road that's how god is funny as far as my childhood goes um we lived with my grandma a lot and um when my mom did move out into public housing we actually were on norris mm-hmm. so it's like down the street from where we currently stay a lot of my like young childhood was right in that same neighborhood I think if we were to leave, we would we would be turning away from what God is calling us to do. So I think it was just us finally accepting that and realizing it and then owning it and being proud of it. If I'm being honest, uh, when we were living um, right there on Willing in 9th Street, three streets up from where we're at now, um, 
I just remember coming home and just struggling, um, just dealing with, you know, the neighbors and the, the violence, you know, in the neighborhood. And um, so I didn't want to raise my kids up in the same area I grew up in because of that. And all the way up until we moved there, it was like, okay, the neighborhood's problem was the neighborhood's problem. But when God um, made us homeowners or allowed us to be homeowners, that became our issue. These are our neighbors. I got into uh, contact with Habitat for Humanity, and um, we were able to get a house um, right up the road. And the last day that um, we built the house, we finished up and we got our keys. Um, the street that we were living on, it was literally a one-way south, so you couldn't go north. But when they handed us the keys, they were finishing up the road, putting down the yellow lines. Uh, so now it was, it was a two-way, and so you can head out north, um, and it was another way out. And that was just a way that God spoke to me, uh, showing me that, you know, with us being there, we will be the light, and there will be a way out, um, you know, north. Um, so when we moved into our habitat, and I would see... Um, you know, just women in bondage mm -hmm. on the streets, like one o'clock in the morning, in and out of cars. In our and yards. Yeah, so like right there, um, it really it made me angry. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't understand why why women, you know, could could just put themselves at risk like that, and and it just oh, like it ate me up. Like I was like, I cannot, I cannot live here. Mm -hmm. Like. This is crazy. I've never um, seen women, you know, just in a low state like that. And so I remember one day um, I was just so furious. And I was like, so one of the ladies who I'm now actually really close with, don't you want more with your life? And she's like, of course I do. And don't you think, you know, that I'm trying? So that kind of was like this huge eye opener to where we were able to to talk. Mm -hmm. So um, now it's just, it's a part of, of what I love and and I make it my duty to make sure that they feel seen. Yeah. I feel like God has us where we're at for a reason and so I'm proud of that. Um, and I actually, I want my kids to, to be a part of that and to see how people struggle and, and this unfortunately is just real life and, and we live in an area where it's kind of on display but you can you can love these people. And I remember a day where my son was crawling on the ground in the living room and I started to tear up because I'm like, this is this is home. Instead of just being a voice for my family um, or in my neighborhood, I can be a voice for the city uh, where he put me in a position to be a city councilman. So God is, is at work and been at work in, in my life and my family's life um, for a while and it's just amazing that now I can actually see it and see what he, you know, doing in my life. Um, Nate as a councilman has been able to to help some of the other things like street lights, um, you know, just the small basic things that, things that unfortunately sometimes the inner city gets flipped over. Yeah, and who would have known two minutes away from our house that right. I would be taking the executive directing position right. of the Martin Center. So where, you know, I would be able to use the platform to help the very area that we live in. Over the years since we've been there, and I don't want to take all the credit, but it's been neighbors coming together, um, you know, different churches, um, neighborhood associations that's saying, you know what, we're sick of this. You know, and it's just, you know, coming out um, of the house and putting together events and coming together is what is, is making the change. You know, and we have to, we have to open the doors.
all people want community. So even the people who we are um, working with in our neighborhood, like community is is something that everyone deserves. I think it's kind of cool that we actually get to do ministry work right in our backyards. Um, we don't have to travel. This is this is it for us, and so. Um, it's just kind of cool that this is where we get to pour our life out and, and prayerfully um, one day we'll see a lot of fruit from it. Yeah. Amen. Did y'all catch that though? Like from, from growing up in this neighborhood to choosing to stay in the neighborhood to now we're in the presence of this neighborhood city councilman. And I don't know if you caught that there at the end, but now the Courtney being the executive director of the very building that we're all sitting in. Um, I draw attention, yeah. I draw attention to that all to say this, make sure you clean up because the boss is looking. We begin our time together in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead, turn to the book of Genesis. This is chapter 18, big number 18. Genesis is the first book, so literally if you just open up the cover, it's right there. We're going to go to big number 18, and we're going to start reading in verse 1, which is the little number 1. We're going to read these first 10 verses, uh, if you would follow along with me. If you don't have a device or a physical Bible with you, that's okay. It's up here on the screen. Let's get it. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, because who's going to turn that down, right? Do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. And as they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where's Sarah, your wife, the visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. And Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. See, i got to give you guys a little bit of context here. No, we're not going to go there right now. i got to give you guys a little bit of context. See, Abraham, many of, you, many of you have heard it said that he is the father of our faith. That's because God came to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, of you I will make a great nation. Of you will be born many sons that will change the world forever. And, of course, that was difficult for Abraham and his wife Sarah to believe because for a long time they tried to have children and they couldn't do it. At this point in the story, they're 99 years old. 
And so, I mean, you know, what? You just give up, right? Right before this passage, Abraham had just had an interaction with God where God says, Abraham, don't lose courage, don't lose faith, stay faithful to me because you're going to have a kid, bro. Sarah is going to have a son. I promise you. And then right after that, we see this interaction. Visitors sent by God walk past Abraham's front door. And Abraham, it's the hottest part of the day, very well could have just let them keep on walking, just daydreamed and sweating about the son that he will someday have. But instead, he stands up and he's like, hey, if you guys want, you can come in here. It's hot. Come catch some shade. I got, your, I got you some water, some, some food to eat. I got you. Go ahead. Take a rest before you keep on going. Abraham shows significant hospitality. Abraham goes all out, likely in a response to the presence of God that he just felt and had an interaction with. Abraham shows great hospitality. He goes all out. He very well could have just kept them walking. But he knew because he was close with the Lord that the Lord wanted him to invite them in. He wanted them to give them some rest. And I would love to take a tangent here about the fact that Abraham's house was a tent and how that sounds temporary and how a home really isn't a home until God makes it a home, but I don't have time to go there today. The point is that Abraham does the absolute most to show incredible hospitality, to invite people into his home, to which the visitors sent by God look at Abraham and respond and say, you're going to have a son. Let this be your affirmation. I know God told it to you, and I'm here to tell you that the next time I pass through, there's going to be a little tight running around. Abraham was eager to welcome the strangers into his home. It's a consistent theme all throughout scripture. When Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his home, it says salvation came to this house today. You can read the same with Mary and Martha, so on and so forth. When you receive the Lord into your home, when you receive the will of God into your physical place of residence, Big things can happen. Do you do the absolute most to welcome the presence of God into your house? Let me ask it this way. Does your spouse know that you welcome the presence of God into your house? Do your kids know that you welcome the presence of God into your house? Does your roommate know that you welcome the presence of God into your house? Do your visitors know that you welcome the presence of God into your house. I know a lot of people who don't have people over to their house because they're ashamed. Because they're ashamed of what they do or do not have. Or because they're ashamed of what really goes on in that home. And I'm here to tell you that all that matters is that you welcome the Lord into your home. You want your house cleaned? 
This ain't no $120 cleaning service. If you really want a place to be hospitable, if you really want a place that people are welcomed and feel safe, if you really actually want that type of home where people want to be, you welcome the Lord first. Some of us need to get to that first. Because when God is welcome in a home, when God is actually Lord of a home, we can see miraculous things. Families will actually stay together. Children will be raised in a loving environment which communicates to them to love people, not hate. Walls from past hurt, past addiction, past struggles will come crumbling down. Joy is shared and healing is truly allowed when we welcome the presence of God into our home. When God is welcome into where we live, we see miraculous things. Now, I do not think it is coincidence. I've studied just a little bit of scripture and I love to look at different literary elements and narrative prose and I've looked at it too much, not much, just a little bit, but I've looked at it too much to believe that when you turn the page that the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, oh, now that's too much To be a coincidence. Now before I go any further. I've said said a name of some cities. That we. That we talk about a lot. Sodom. Gomorrah. We epitomize these two cities. We say. That was the nastiest place. That was where the most evil was. Even other scriptures reference it. And say. Sodom and Gomorrah. It's where in English we get the term. Sodomy. Because we talk about how it was the most evil. It's a pretty famous story. And you might think you have a pretty good idea of what this is about or where we might go. But let's just for a moment, please, if you would with me, please throw out what you think you know about Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's throw out what we think we've heard from teachers in the past. And let's simply focus on what the scripture tells us. Because what the scripture tells us is that the Lord heard the outcries of the people that say this place is wicked. He heard the outcries of the people. And so the Lord sent his men that were just traveling through with Abraham to go check it out. I want you all to see it. I want you all to come back and tell me if it's really as bad as all of that. And if it really is as bad as all of that, we'll knock it to the ground. I can't let evil stand where I want my people to go. So go check it out. Now Abraham, Abraham's the man. I love Abraham. He looks at God and he says, God, will you really destroy a whole city? A whole bunch of innocent people for the sake of a few wicked ones? God, what if I can find 50 people that are righteous Let me say it another way. What if I can find 50 people in Sodom and Gomorrah that will have received you? 
will have been as hospitable to your presence as I just was to your visitors. What if I can find 50? God's like, bet. Then Abraham realized what he had said, and he had to back it down just a little bit because his mouth was a little bit too big for his britches. And he said, well, what I had meant when I had said 50 earlier, what I had actually meant was 45. If I can find 45 people who have received you, Lord, will you let the city stand? God says, bet. Abraham's like, oh, no, see, he, I feel like he knows something that I don't. Let me back that down one more time. Lord, if I can find 40, let me get 40. No, matter of fact, let me get 30. You ain't flinching. Let me get 20. If I can find 20 people, bet. God, you're starting to freak me out. I'll tell you what, bottom line, if I can find 10, if I can find 10 people, that, are, that have received you or that are willing to receive you, that are willing to be hospitable to your presence, oh God. Meaning, receive your presence, receive your word, listen to your law. If I can find 10, can we let those cities stand? God says, bet. Then we see in Genesis 19, we pick up in verse 5. The visitors go into the city, they find their boy Lot, Lot, Lot's a safe place. They go to Lot, and then we see the people of the city shouting out to Lot. They said, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. He said it, not me. So Lot steps outside to talk to him, shutting the door behind him. Please, brothers, don't do such a wicked thing. Verse 8, look, I've got two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you please. But, but please, leave these men alone, for they are guests under my protection. They are guests sent by the Lord. They are those messengers from the Lord. These two men are angels. They have with them the presence of God. Stand back. People from the city shouted, this guy came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like he's our judge. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunged toward Lot to break down the door, but the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. And then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house, so they gave up trying to get inside, or as I prefer to read it in the original Hebrew text, they left the men groping, not the men, but the door. Hmm. Don't tell me there isn't beauty in this literature. Lot welcomes the visitors, and the town that everybody's out crying is evil wants to perform evil outside of the bounds of what God wants them to do acts of these visitors. Lot protests because he knows the importance of these individuals. And ultimately, what we read as we go on in chapter 19 and so on is we read about the destruction of the city. He saves Lot. He saves the visitors. But everybody else, they couldn't find 10. And we use this passage to rebuke particular sin. 
well, God must feel extra about that way because look how serious. That's not the point. Let me draw our attention to the fact that if even 10, if even 10 were found willing to receive the Lord, that all would have been saved. The Lord took out the city. Not necessarily because he felt some more grotesque way about this sin as opposed to other sin, but rather that not 10 people, not one person would receive the Lord into their house. Just Lot. That was it. And so what happened to Lot? He was fine. But the rest of them, not so much. And this passage and what it all represents and the fact that 80% of y'all perked up when I said Sodom and Gomorrah and you're looking and hanging on every word to see where I'm going to go and what I'm going to say and am I going to take a conservative stance or a liberal stance or which way am I going to go tells me. It makes me wonder, have we gotten so lost in naming the sin of a city? Have we gotten so lost in naming the sin of our neighbors that we've lost sight of the fact if God can find but 10 that will receive him, all will be saved. Sorry. Have we given up on our surroundings and our mind? Have we given our city over? Have we given our neighborhood over? Have we given our hallway over for the quote-unquote destruction of their flesh? Losing sight of the fact that up until the very last moment, God was willing to hear their pleas. What we learn by the example of Lot is that God will honor our faithfulness in a hard place. Lot, I see where you're at. I see you don't want to be there. I see the city struggling. I see your neighbors are struggling. I see that they're a part of some things that you don't want to be a part of. Stay faithful to me and I got you, Lot. God sees where we're at in our neighborhood with our sweet mates, our roommates, our family, whatever. And as long as we stay faithful exactly where we're at, he's got us. I want to tie it all together like this. Let's go to the New Testament. Praise God for the New Testament. Book don't end with Malachi. Let's go one more. Matthew. Chapter 25. These are the words of Jesus. Starting in verse 31. Jesus says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, a beautiful picture of diversity, and he will separate the people, not by anything else other than sheep and goats. Sheep at his right hand, goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. I've been intending this all along. I've been waiting for this all along. For I was hungry, 
and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your, huh, your home. He says, I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then these righteous ones, the one that I call righteous, Jesus says, will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Hey, I'm not trying to argue about which line I'm in. I'm just asking. Or thirsty. When did we see you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? Or when did we see you a stranger and show you hospitality? When did we see you naked and we give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison? When did we come visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. This is Jesus challenging what it meant. This is included in Matthew's gospel because the dominant culture uh, of the audience of Matthew's gospel is Jews. And so this is Jesus challenging the Jewish idea of what righteousness is. Righteousness said you had to keep the law. You had to keep all of these Hundreds of commands. You had to be perfect to a T. You had to know the law back and forth. You had to have all of this heady stuff. But what Jesus says is, I'll tell you what's righteous. It's when you saw I was hungry and you gave me some, you gave me some food. It's when you saw that I was lonely wandering out in the streets wanting a place to go and you took me in. It's when I had no clothes, I had no resources, and you surrounded me with everything that I needed. That's who's really righteous. And the people, simple like me, were like, uh, when? I mean, yes, I did. I totally remember. I'm just making sure you remember. (laughs) Jesus. And I'm not here to argue what the least of these means. That's, That's missing the point today as well. What I'm here to say is that Jesus said, when you do this for the people that I put in front of you. See, I am infinitely more creative than you. I created you. I created you to reflect a part of me, not all of me, which means all of you together reflect me. So I creatively allowed people to cross your paths all throughout your lives, whether it's at work, whether it's where you live, whether it's at school, wherever. I've allowed people to cross your paths. And when you invited those people in, when you went all out, as Abraham went all out in Genesis 18, for those who I put in front of you who needed it the most, that's you doing it for me. What you have done for those I have placed in front of you, you have done for me. He flips it. It's not just about me. It's not just about loving me. But if you've really received me into your home, then I should be a key that unlocks your door, that opens your garage door, that does not allow you to have a cul-de-sac mentality of home at 5 and shut down till 8 a.m. the next day. But rather, I am a key that opens your home wide open. And you receive others the same way you receive me. Now, there's a flip side in verse 41 we got to deal with them too. 
Jesus says this, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and when you... And when I was, you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and I was in prison. You didn't visit me. And they'll reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger or naked? I was in church every Sunday and I never saw you there. And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And then they'll go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous, the actually righteous, those who are welcoming to my presence and welcoming of other people will go with me into eternal life. When did we see you? When did we see you? Lord, had we but known it was you, you were wearing a mask. You were parading around as a fill in the blank. I thought you were an aggravating neighbor. I didn't know that you were Jesus. Now that's the problem. That's the problem. If you do for others, Jesus says, you do for me. Have you welcomed those the Lord has placed in your neighborhood, your floor, your city, the same way you allegedly welcomed the Lord? Or have you given up entirely on your geographic location. Man, don't talk to me like that about my city. It may not be the most beautiful. We got our bruises. But the Lord wants for but 10. Just a few people who are willing to sit in those neighborhoods and say, this can either be given to the devil Or it can be given to the Lord. And I choose to sit here and not resent my place of residence. I choose to sit here and not resent where I'm forced to live. I choose to sit here and not welcome the presence of the Lord in my own closet, but don't let it creep out into the hallways, not too much. I choose to sit here and to welcome my neighborhood, to welcome those around me, because God must have placed them there for me. And I will show the light of Jesus to all who are around me. I got to say this, and then I'm in my seat. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're on the opposite side of the spectrum. You're on the opposite side of this story. Maybe you are one who has been wandering as a stranger. Maybe you feel like your sin has been put on blast. Maybe you feel that people have epitomized your sin rather than welcoming you anywhere. Maybe you feel like a traveler in your own city, in your own family. You're just looking for a place to land. I want you to know, if you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. You're welcome here. You are welcome here. Wherever you have found yourself in life, whatever path you have taken, Whatever everyone else holds against you, you are welcome here. Because the presence of the Lord is welcome here. And we here at Third Street believe in the power of the presence of welcoming our Lord.
We believe that when God is welcome in a place, big things can happen. And I'm not going to act like I don't see your addiction. We're not going to act like we don't see the things that have prevented relationship with Jesus in the past. But we are going to act like the current, the tidal wave rather, of the Holy Spirit is stronger than anything that has blocked that in the past. Healing is welcome here. Miracles are welcome here. Wherever you are from, you are welcome here.